Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Crossroads wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across Sheffield from the 31st of May to the 2nd of June. So other podcasters that you'll be able to see include Katie Price, Catherine Ryan, Ramesh Ranganathan and the original Adam Buxton. But there's also a whole host of free fringe events, family shows, surprise acts and after parties that Jane and I haven't yet been invited to. I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information. Hello, it's Manveen. Tomorrow, the Lionesses play Spain in England's first World Cup final since 1966. It's going to be a huge moment in sporting history. So much so that pubs are opening early and the Church of England has given its blessing for worshippers to skip their usual Sunday morning service and pray for the Lionesses instead. So, to mark the occasion, we're bringing you an episode of The Game, the Times football podcast, with their preview of the final. And if you can't watch the match on Sunday morning, The Times will have live updates online and in the app, and you can listen to Talk Sport, who will have live commentary from 10am with the former Lioness, Leanne Sanderson. We're all keeping our fingers crossed. It's coming home. But in the meantime, here's our preview with the Deputy Sports Editor, Tom Clark. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Game Podcast from The Times. Special because this show is in addition to our usual Monday and Thursday offering, but even more special because England are in a World Cup final. That's right, finally, first time since 1966. This time it is England's women who will face Spain in the World Cup final on Sunday. Joining me, Tom Clark. I'm currently in a small room in The Times office in London. We've got two of our intrepid reporters down under. There might be a bit bleary-eyed, and ready for bed, but they're here with you now on the game podcast. It's Molly Hudson and Owen Slot. Molly, how are you doing? How are the energy levels? Do you know what? I've just ran back to my hotel from England camp, um, from a train, actually. I can't run the uh, however many kilometres it is to camp. Um, and it's absolutely pouring down with rain. We've just ran along with pizza boxes on our head. So that is the real life of a Women's World Cup reporter in Australia Lovely. right now. You've had, you've had pizza tonight. God, you count yourself lucky. It's been much tougher where I've been, Tom, I tell you. I've been, I haven't really had time for, for food, really, uh, for refueling. I've just been <laughs> filing words to keep our readers happy. I've been tuning my voice so I can st- sing to the Backstreet Boys of Molly Hudson because every half time she sings Backstreet Boys to me. That's not what they play at half time. And I just kind of feel I've let her down by not singing well enough. Well, that is true. I was fascinated by this um, revelation in our live coverage of England's win in the semi-final. Slotty, you revealed that Molly was singing the Backstreet Boys. I mean, it begs the question, what song was it? Um, Christmas, Molly, what song was it? I know the tune, but I'm not quite sure on the song titles. I don't know. Is it called I Want It That Way? Is that? A, oh, is that Molly, it? see, this, this, shows, this shows the age differential potentially between you two of someone who maybe missed the Backstreet Boys 
uh, by being a slight, say, like a couple of years older than their time, and also Molly, who probably has no idea most of the songs of the Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. It is absolutely iconic. Uh, and so if England's success has been inspired by that song, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now, as we're talking about that semi-final, there's, there's loads for us to discuss about um, Sunday's final against Spain. But I want to go back. Molly, that final whistle, as well as furiously fire, filing your copy for the match report for the Times website, which was brilliant, by the way, I would recommend any young reporter who wants to learn how to file on the whistle very quickly to go and check it out. Molly, what were the emotions at full time? England in a final. Relief, both that England are in a final and I filed my match report on time. Um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, um, it was a strange one. I think for me personally, I, I was I was at 2019 when England played the United States who obviously were the bleeding power of the women's game and of course things went against England in that game there was you know Steph Horton's missed penalty Ellen White's offside toe but in truth, you know, the United States outplayed us. They were a better team. They were more prepared to get to that stage. So I think when the final whistle blew, it it it, it was a sense of relief, but it was also a sense of, of kind of this is what this team have worked for. This is what they've built for. And they looked like they belonged on that stage. I mean, of course, you can argue that in other tournaments, perhaps you would have faced a, a more difficult team than Australia, purely in terms of footballing talent. Obviously, they were an interesting test because of the host nation element. But I think, you know, England, uh, as, as stressed as naturally you are watching England play at a major tournament, I think they were, you know, pretty in control, even even when Sam Kerr scored the equaliser. Obviously, a, a huge moment, uh, a huge noise. I think England just kept remarkably cool. And I think this more and more so as the days go by feels like it's their time. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you talk about that being their time. Slotty, you wrote after the semi-final about this you described a rare efficiency was the words used in the headline of your piece. Tell us a bit more about that because, you know, in your career, you've seen various different England teams across different sports um, and also, uh, you know, Olympic Games and things, athletes in big moments meeting what was required, but also falling short. What 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 is it about this England team that makes them so special, do you think? Yeah, the the, 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 the rare efficiency is, is, is a strange compliment because, um, well, it, it's rare because it, it, England teams, um, efficiency is, is kind of like a, a German adjective or uh, that, that you describe German teams with this suppose I'm using stereotypes here England's teams can flatter to deceive and when we're talking massive generalizations about England teams and English sports people but the idea that this team are like finding a way to win that they are not panicking remotely when stuff goes against them because it, it always does you know that's that's what these these tournaments are about and the the, there's been so much that's gone against England on and off the pitch. Uh, it's incredible, and, and the, their unflappability, which which clearly um, comes from the lady uh, on the on the on the touchline, is is really notable. And maybe we'll talk about 2003. And I, I'm sort of a bit obsessed with 2003 because I was here then. But but again, that was a team that kind of knew where, what what they were trying to achieve and and how they were trying to get there. And and they had a this composure. Um, a, a similar composure to, to what this England team has and Lord knows how the, it'll play out on Sunday but I just think one of one thing you can be sure is that England won't lose their heads if, if they make a mistake and concede a goal then they won't suddenly 
concede a second goal. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll dig in and fight back. Uh, all those kind of uh, attributes that you, you would want in a team at this at this point in a tournament. Yeah, I mean, you talk in your piece about that um, World Cup, Rugby World Cup winning side and it being in the same stadium where Johnny Wilkinson hit the drop goal 20 years ago. Just going back to that kind of composure, obviously Molly has followed this England team a lot you have uh, at this tournament. What has been your sense of Serena Wiegmann and how much of that composure stems from her, Slotty, in terms of you know her manner in the press conferences to reading her body language at different times? Like, What have you made of her as a coach in comparison to, say, some of those other coaches and uh, mentors that you've seen throughout your career? Yeah, the, the, um, one of the things that is so striking is the... Uh, manner and the aura in which she inspires in her players the the trust that they place in her um it, it, it's a it's a total belief thing and that's great if you're backing the right person which they clearly are that that's that's great she's she's got them in in the in the palm of her hands which is great i'm fascinated by this thing about the the the, the calm coach on the side because most of this year we've been admiring a coach who's completely and utterly the opposite extreme uh, in Pep Guardiola, you know, the, the, the frantic John Cleese kind of takeoff on, on the touchline. How can arguably the two greatest coaches from the men's and women's team be, be so um, so polar uh, opposites? I, I don't know, but, but both get the job done in a different way. One thing about Serena is she's obviously tactically really, really really astute and that's clearly one of the things that helps inspire her players but pretty much every call that, that she's been making here seems to have gone her way you know every time you think that she should make a change or something or she should do something she comes out on top of the, the Nigeria game I go back to when she needed to make a change and, and she didn't that, that sort of stands out because it's the one time when you go Actually, maybe she didn't get it right, but pretty much everything else seems to have gone her way. When you talk about that motivation, I thought it's you know one of the moments of the tournament for me was watching her deliver her post-match kind of pep talk, if you like, with all the players huddled around Molly um, on the pitch um, after the final whistle in that semi-final. Tell us a bit more about that, those moments, you know, insights into that, but also then growing forward, what's the mood like been in the camp? you know for the last 24 hours to be honest I I didn't see the huddle because obviously I I was here and I didn't see the TV coverage but I do have a quite a funny anecdote uh, from the mix zone actually actually it's probably slotty story but I'm going to take it anyway (laughs) (laughs) one of the journalists uh, possibly slotty possibly Ian Herbert, uh, was asking some of the players what had been said in that huddle because very similar to you, they'd picked up on it on the TV. Obviously, we kind of had no idea. And Lucy Mm. Bronze was sort of detailing little bits like, you know, she was saying we deserved it, blah, blah, blah. And then she says, she saw me jumping up and down and told me off and said, leave that to the young ones. Uh, we Mm. We need you to look after yourself. That kind of glimpse of of Serena really is 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 what you see I think when when we see her in the media it's it's not it's not something she enjoys you know she, she you can see she enjoys the touchline being close to the players the tactics that side of it she doesn't enjoy the sort of performative nature of the job in in a lot of ways especially when unfortunately for her you're you're as successful as she is um sadly she's only going to see more of us i think that's when you see the glimpses of that relationship with the players that she isn't always that kind of quite cold direct person that she can sometimes appear in the media actually there's clearly a softer side and all of the players would absolutely run through brick walls for her and and that they do so again and again i think that's that's what kind of shows the the strength of this team really tom just just one 
one thing that I yeah. found really, one thing I found hilarious about this whole Serena thing is is the way that um, uh, as our um, as the England coach and leader, she, she's had Im- imposed on her the storylines that go that accompany that. So um, at the start of the week, she had the storyline of the Australian rivalry, and she was asked to comment on it, and she's just completely baffled by it, and and, and sort of smiles and looks look, looks perplexed, but but won't play the game partly because she can't, but also because it's not in her nature to to sort of entertain these all this silliness for the sake of the media. And then so they dispatch uh, Australia on on Wednesday, and then immediately in her next press conference, it's like. Serena, 57 years of hurt, you know, how do you feel mm-hmm. about bringing that to an end? How have you, you know, has, has it been, has it, has it been an agony for you as well? And do you feel our agony? And, and again, she just sort of looks at the media like, like sort of silly children. <laughs> you, you and your, you and your funny nonsense that you just, that, that you go on, go on about. And she rises above it and, and doesn't engage. And, and, and it's just funny because it, it exemplifies the storylines that, that we live with and, 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 and sometimes how, how how preposterous they can seem to other people. Yeah. Well, uh, having seen some of our plans for previews over the next 48 hours in the Times, I can tell you there's a lot more of the 50-odd years of her and 1966 yeah. references yeah. coming your way, Serena, I can promise you. One of the things that Vigman will surely be asked about over the coming hours and days is Lauren James and the selection problem that her return to availability presents to the England manager. Molly, you caught up with our star columnist Casey Stoney on this subject and more. Here's what she had to say. I think it's hard because you've got a super, super talented player that you know that can hurt Spain. But you've also just had a player that scored an absolute worldie to get you 1-0 up in a, a huge game. And I thought Ella Toon actually had a decent performance in there and caused problems. So I think I would probably stick with Ella and make it very, very clear that, Lauren, you're going to have a huge impact in this game when you come on. I know usually Lauren's not necessarily been a great impact sub, but this is a World Cup final. She hasn't been left out of the manager's choice, it would be because she's missed the previous game, because she's had obviously all previous two games and she's obviously had a red card. So this is a very different role for her in terms of taking it on. I think she would take it on. I also think bringing her on when those Spanish legs are a little bit more fatigued could be very, very dangerous. It's an unbelievable bullet to take to, to, to have off the bench in terms of what she can fire at the Spanish team. And do you think that that's also what, Serena will do because I guess in the past we've seen her make bold decisions. She dropped her captain, the Netherlands. Obviously, she she dropped Steph. Yeah, what what do you think her brings to that decision? Very interesting because I had this conversation with someone earlier, and I said she doesn't make decisions on sentiment at all, ever. You know, she makes decisions that she's right for the team. I think she could go with Lauren based on that. I think Ella could be used as an impact sub, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that because she makes decisions that she thinks is right in the moment. And she'll be looking at training, she'll be looking at performances, she'll be looking at who can play in that role and serve those front two the best. Ella's performance last night has definitely put her in consideration. And we've talked about LJ and that emotional development. How how do you even write a story like this where you think your tournament's over and then they literally make history for you to have a chance to come back? What, what must that be like? And how would you kind of, I know it's easy to say for us who aren't in it, but kind of advise on how to even deal with that mentally? She'll score a winner. She'll score a winner. Honestly, that's what I believe. I think she'll come on or she'll start and she will have such a hungry determination to make things right that she'll have an impact in this game massively. I don't doubt that for one second. And, then, and I think the story will write itself. You know, she would learn of she would have learned a very hard and fast lesson from 
what happened and I think she'll want to put a few wrongs right and she's got the talent to be able to do it. Casey Stoney there with her insights and advice for Serena Wiegmann ahead of England's big final. You can read her column online now and you can read her reaction after Sunday's final. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Molly, I want to come to you on Lauren James. Obviously, it's a big talking point. She burst onto the scene in this tournament, then was sent off and has missed the last few games. Ella Toon put in a brilliant performance in that semi-final. Where where do you stand on the debate? Casey says she would start Toon, but thinks Wiegmann will pick James. What do you think? I appear to have been thinking about this since the full-time whistle went, actually. And uh, I'm yet to come to a proper conclusion, really. I think deep down, I think Serena will pick Lauren James because I just... We, we talk about Serena Wiegmann and her past. She dropped the Dutch captain and that was it. She dropped Steph Orton, England captain. That was it. There's no coming back. So it's not as though she operates with any sort of sentimentality, as as Casey pointed out. So I don't think the fact that Ella Toon scored that fantastic goal will matter in the slightest. She will just pick the team that she best thinks beat Spain. And I actually think it's quite interesting looking at how, how both of them might operate as, as, as substitutes. And I don't think Lauren James is a particularly good substitute. Um, she's somebody that needs to kind of find her way in a game. Um, and I don't think she's necessarily somebody that you'd want to bring on if you were, say, one goal down and just immediately need her to score. Like, I think she needs a little bit of time to kind of figure things out. And I think actually Ella Toon proved a, a very good super sub in that Euros win. So I think in that sense, 
I wonder if she may go with Lauren James from the start. But I think the other thing that we have to remember is this incident showed us that Lauren James is a is an absolutely massive talent, but she's also, you know, pretty emotionally immature. She's a very young player. And look, we're all talking about it now on, on the eve of a World Cup final. Imagine the kind of emotional roller coaster that she herself has been on over the past couple mm. of weeks. So, you know, I think that ultimately is is something that, you know, we can't answer. I suppose only only Lauren James and, and Serena Vigman will truly know where James's head's at. And I suppose for a young player that, that has has so much talent you know that's that's the thing that has to be kind of the most important really here what is the best for the team but also what is a the best for a player because whenever she does come onto that pitch she knows that the world the eyes of the world are going to be looking at her Sotty would you agree with that do you think that there is a element of Vigman having to factor in the pressure that James will be on in comparison to say she just names the same team we won the semi-final away you go win us the final do, do you think that's a factor in this decision yeah it, it is a factor in my in my opinion she should just put Lauren James in full stop well not full stop because the, the point that, that um, Molly's making is we, we don't know how Lauren James is we haven't sat in in camp with her for the you know, for the two weeks since she um since she got sent off, so well, I, I don't know how um how emotionally vulnerable she is, but um if she's emotionally strong, then I just I just think you have to go with her because she's she's so good, and I, the the idea that you hold someone that good back because you might need to rescue the game or make a late change, I, I just don't, I don't really buy that because I would just rather have her on for a whole hour or 75 minutes beforehand to win the game and not need to have that problem but um uh so that that that's that's my take but just as molly says you know what what her state of mind is no idea i wanted to ask you both about the England support in Australia. Molly, we touched on this before the semi-final. We talked about the kind of imbalance in England having to play against the home crowd. You know, have you met any England fans? Have you met many England fans? What has it felt like? Because sat in this office, I've just been in a meeting that was 20 people strong, talking all, only about the final. It's the only story in town. All my friends, family are all asking me, what are you doing on Sunday? I'm working. Oh, bloody hell, we're going to go round to Blah Blah's house. We're going to sit and watch it. It's manic here. Everyone is obsessed. What is it like over there you know you've both covered different tournaments before is there a growing band of England fans are they all kind of expats who are kind of finally sticking their head above the parapet going hey we're English and we're proud what's the kind of mood in Australia like from an English point of view I think it's, it is a bit strange as you say when when you're kind of out here and you're you're not in the bubble and I think in a way it probably kind of helps the players a little bit because they're Although, of course, they it, it perforates the bubble in some ways. You don't feel the full force of that pressure in the same way that you do when you're hosting a tournament. Um, I think certainly compared to my experience in 2019, there's a lot more travelling England fans here. And I think that is a combination of both expats and also travelling fans. Um, there's a group called Free Lionesses who have organised a lot of the meetups and things that have been going on. And certainly for the, the England-Australia game, actually, I, I obviously we, we get to a stadium sort of like three, four hours before kickoff. And there were there was like several England fans that I walked into actually leaving um, the, the train station here. And they were really loud. In fact, uh, it's quite strange. I think Slotty would 
would would happily talk about this the fact that quite often in men's football you you have these established chants and you don't really have that in women's football you have the initial sort of roar of a crowd and then it sort of dies off when the play starts and then they cheer for a goal I think Slotty would say that's been a little bit strange for somebody that's maybe more accustomed to men's football um, but it's certainly in terms of numbers there's there's a decent amount out here I think there was there was a room of about 8,000 out here um, obviously possibly not all in the stadium against um, Australia of course but there's a fair number out here I don't I don't feel Tom again I'm going to do the old blokes thing and I was here in 2003 and 2003 the, the week leading up to the final the, the, the you, you could sort of feel the city filling up with with English men mainly men and the, the numbers that got on planes from uh, from London or from the UK to, to, to get over for, for one game I, I think it was something like 40,000 that were here in the end and it's not like that and I think that's that doesn't mean anything it, apart from re- reflects on the fact that you know English rugby has had a been building a following for, for much longer than than the lionesses ha- have. There are numbers here, and I, I, I think part of it is because the, the way it's changed is up till Wednesday, it literally felt like the tournament was about the Matildas or the Australian team. You know, the, the, it was very hard to get tickets for the semi final. It, it was almost all green and gold. So I'd be really interested to see how much that's going to change. Um, hopefully, it will change dramatically. Yeah, absolutely. And Molly, by the way, if you were looking for women's players specific chance how you've not come up with it's Georgia Stanway to the tune of I want it that way quite frankly I don't know what you've been doing the whole time you've been there there's still plenty of time for you to work that one I'm sure I'm going to work on the lyrics I'll send you the full thing don't worry moving on we're talking about Australia there and fans and support I want to talk about Spain a fascinating team Molly in terms of the story a little rivalry with England having faced each other in that Euros match which I think we've been talking this week we can all agree was probably England's most difficult game in the Euros um, just coming through 2-1 tell us more about them because they've not had the ideal build up in this tournament have they and not just build up the the kind of unsettled nature of their camp has gone all through the tournament hasn't it yes um, hopefully there will be a piece from me on this on the Times website at some point soon I have just written it um but lucky uh, readers uh, yeah. uh, so i will try and give you a taster but it's rather complicated situation really um essentially f- last september 15 members of spain football generally uh went on strike against the federation uh, they complained about a number of issues relating to, to little things like, well, not little things, quite big things, actually. Travel, um, the standards, like <sighs> details, like they were they were having to get buses for long distances when there were flights available. Uh, the Federation were, were not really investing in, in things like nutritionists, fitness experts, which obviously we, we know is an area where England have, have improved greatly in recent years. They had issues with the way that Jorge Vilda, the manager, coached essentially and the, the fact that they felt he was quite controlling. Uh, and this kind of rolled on and on. The, the federation publicly come out and said, we shouldn't have players detracting from the coach. They've been very in support of Vilda. Um, this is this is rolled on and on until the squad announcement, um, four players, including Patry, who is who is arguably, I think if you ask Kira Walsh, who she plays alongside at Barcelona, would tell you is, is probably the best midfielder in the world. It has decided to make herself unavailable for this squad. There are four players that have done that. There are also 11 or 12 players that ha- had a shout of being in the squad. They might not have all been starters, but a few of them were. A couple of players Manchester City, Manchester United, and then three of the 15 that initially went on strike have come back into the squad, and that's Onabatia, 
um, who is the Manchester United right back that's just moved to Barcelona, uh, Mariona Caldente and Aitana Bonatti. And all three of those players are, are probably going to start against England. They're three of their very best players. And they've caused quite a lot of controversy in Spain and sort of globally women's football, really, because it's quite divided because some people feel these players have made quite a selfish decision to come back into a federation that many believe doesn't treat their players properly a manager that that is not the best for this team they've put their personal goals ahead of the team and the idea of going on strike and and trying to change something and then obviously there are other people that say well you know these are are teams that uh, players that this could be their last chance to play at a world cup you know you uh, it's a very complicated situation i think in the aftermath of of the netherlands uh, spain game uh, it'd gone to extra time spain won everyone was jumping around hugging each other and and there was a clip that went viral on on um x at is, as it is now called of Jorge Vilda just looking slightly lonely and bewildered as everyone else celebrated around him sort of avoiding him it's it's a it's a very strange scenario um and one that that makes you feel as though these players are possibly playing in spite of him trying to trying to make history for themselves for their teammates for their country not in the best circumstances at all and I think it, it's quite an interesting dynamic when you consider as we've discussed earlier on in this podcast about the, the real togetherness in the England squad and and that really coming from Serena Wiegmann and her relationship with the players really you couldn't have a more opposite opponent in that sense uh, as to the kind of turbulence that Spain are experiencing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it certainly sounds like the complete opposite situation to England, but we shouldn't get too carried away. Listeners shouldn't be thinking, well, we've got it sewn up. This is a strong team, isn't it? Despite those players, like you mentioned, are missing. Mol, who are the couple of players that, you know, if, you, if you're tuning in, maybe to watch Spain for the first time in this tournament on Sunday, who should you be looking at and thinking, oh, blimey, hope they don't get hold of the ball quick? Quick, Lucy Bronze, get the ball off him, quick. I think Ona Batia is a massive danger from from right back. Um, she's probably one of the best right backs in the world, probably kind of actually trying to stake that claim off Lucy Bronze, who's obviously now come to the end of her career. Um, Bomati, who I just mentioned, another, another one of those those three that have come back is, is you know, uh, there was actually a discussion as to whether part of the thinking behind her coming back was that she could well win the Ballon d'Or this year if, if Spain go on and win this tournament, having been part of the Barcelona all-conquering team. So there's there's a huge uh, there's a huge number of players. To, to, it, it's, it's a little bit crazy. If you imagine the England team without 12 of its players, we'd, we'd have nothing. Thing. But Spain just have such incredible depth that you almost barely notice. And, and that's not taking away from anything from these players that have made this very brave decision not to play in this tournament. But it just goes to show how difficult it is. And and actually, Casey made an interesting point um, when I was speaking to her earlier on. She said, well, yes, Spain are missing those three players. And, and seemingly that gives an advantage because those three players played in the Euros game that obviously England won. But England are also missing three players. They're missing Leah Williamson, they're missing Beth Mead, and they're missing Frank Kirby. So in that sense, it's it's quite even in a way that it should be as even as close as tightly contested as that game in the European Championships was but it's not going to be any easier for sure I mean they're a fascinating subject Molly as you say and listeners make sure you check out Molly's piece uh, that she mentioned that'll be on the Times website by the time you're listening to this there's loads of other preview content out there as well we'll be speaking to Phil Neville over the weekend Slotty you'll be writing as well ahead of the final there's loads of brilliant stuff so make sure you check it out finally I'm going to let you both go to bed and get some much needed rest but Molly you've teed me up perfectly by talking about how difficult that game is is going to be for a prediction. Now, I'm going to go first. I'm going to say that England are going to edge it 2-1. And I feel like there's a big moment coming for Lucy Bronze. She's not. She's had a few little moments 
moments here and there in games, but I feel like there might be a Lucy Bronze screamer coming. So I'm going positive, but I'm also factoring in that difficult Spain opposition, saying it's going to be 2-1. Slotty, prediction, please. I, I was really struck by the comments of Lucy Bronze and Kira Walsh, the two England-Barcelona players um, who I spoke to uh, after the game yesterday. The um, extent of the compliments they he- heaped on the Spanish team uh, Lucy Bronze said that the Spaniards were the, technically the, the best players in the world, um, which is kind of extraordinary to be so complimentary about your opposition so close to the final. But, so I, I, I bear that in mind and, and, and also bear in mind what we were saying before about this England team that have so much going for them, the will to win, the composure, um, and, and they're also a very good team as well. I, um, my, my, um, my prediction is is one all penalties and England win on penalties. Oh, goodness me. Speaking as the person who's editing on Sunday, please God, let that not be the case. And I can see, I can see, I can see on my webcam that Molly Hudson is rocking back in her chair thinking, please God, no. So Molly, I'm going to give the final word to you and I can only presume you're going to predict a 4-0 win. I was actually going to predict what you said. Uh, A combination of the two of you really, a 2-1 England win. I think England go behind first. Uh, They show that resilience and I think Kira Walsh has a massive say in the game. There's been a lot of talk about how she hasn't actually had a great tournament, but arguably she's England's best player. And I think your best player, they have to step up on the big stage. And I think knowing how well she knows a lot of this team, I think this could be her moment to shine again, just as the Euros final was. Oh, I certainly hope so. But the point is, we're all predicting it's going to be pretty tight. So make sure you're watching and then make sure you're following all the Times coverage. We'll be covering the final live on the Times website. And then straight after full time, you'll be able to read Molly's match report and insight from Slotty as well, as well as loads of other content besides. Molly Hudson, Owen Slot, thank you very much for joining me. I'll let you get to bed. Join us on Monday. We'll be reacting to all the best of the weekend's action and to the World Cup final. Thanks for listening.